0: This is pastor eric thanks so much for checking out our life church podcast we pray that it's a blessing to you for more information about life church check us out at lifechurchutah.com go ahead and pull your notes out for today's message Uh, i called the message today what name do you want that might seem like a, a a little strange title but i want you to think about how you see yourself how you name yourself because that will have great impact upon your future. How you see yourself, what you believe yourself to be, will, will be a point of faith for you for your future. Uh, and for you to see what I mean, I want us to look at Uh, the interaction of Jesus with his disciples just after his resurrection. So he's been crucified, he's resurrected from the grave, and he meets for the first time with his disciples, and it's recorded in John chapter 20. And we're going to pick up with verse number 19 and read on from there. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, okay, so on Sunday evening, this is the evening of the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what we're talking about here. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Well, obviously, they had just seen him crucified. Now they're seeing the living Christ uh, on the day of resurrection. Now we're going to jump down to verse 24. Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, a week later, okay, the following Sunday, his disciples were in that house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said directly to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. That's where the spear went. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, I would imagine so. And then verse 29, Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you, you now believe. Uh, But blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet they still believe. Now, I just, you know, as I read this story again about a man by the name of Thomas, I thought to myself, I wondered to myself, how would you like your worst failure to become your identity for the rest of your life, or for that matter, throughout history? That's exactly what happened to Thomas. Thomas. He doubted when the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He wasn't with them the first time. He doubted that that had happened. As a matter of fact, it was a fairly bold doubt because he didn't just say, oh, I have a hard time believing it. What did he say? Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe that. Woo, that's pretty strong. Now, verse 26 here says that Jesus appeared to his disciples a second time, and this time Thomas was with them, and Thomas now sees the resurrected Lord, and the Lord kind of pushes it a little bit and says, okay, go ahead and put your, your finger where the nails were. Uh, put your hand in my side. And, and with great passion then, Thomas, as we already said, cries out, my Lord and my God. But Jesus was not as hard on Thomas as he could have been. He simply said, okay, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. You've put your hand in my the, the scars of my where my, the nail prints were. You've put, put your, your hand in my side where the spear was thrust. You, you now believe. I'm glad about that, Thomas. But it is much more blessed... The person is much more blessed who believes even if they have not seen. And I'm so glad that Jesus said that because that means you and me still can be blessed of God. Because we have not literally seen the resurrected Christ, at least I haven't in my lifetime. I've never had him appear to me. And so I'm glad that Jesus threw that in at the end and he said, people who believe even though they haven't seen are going to receive an exceedingly great blessing. He was trying to get a point over to Thomas, but he was speaking to us today in 2016 as well. But then Jesus dropped the matter, and, and, and he, he left them. So Jesus let the matter drop, but the church did not. And because of that, Thomas will forever be known to us as Doubting Thomas. You all knew the, his name. That's how I heard about Thomas when I was growing up. When I was a kid in Sunday school, I heard about doubting Thomas. They didn't tell me about Thomas. They told me about doubting Thomas. And if you grew up hearing about Thomas, you probably heard that same tag put onto him, doubting Thomas. To some, Thomas has kind of become the patron saint of skeptics and of doubters. But how would you like to be tagged throughout history, not just your lifetime, but throughout history with your greatest failure. Adulterous Frank. Lying Marsha. By the way, if there's a Frank or a Marsha in here, this has nothing to do with you. Those are just, just names I pulled out, okay? Gossipy Gale. That's exactly what happened to Thomas. His worst failure became his identity throughout 2,000 years of church history. I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but several countries have outlawed certain names that parents have tried to inflict upon their children. This is true. Names that various courts in various countries have determined, quote, cause offense to a reasonable person or that make a fool of a child, unquote. So for example, in New Zealand, you can't name your child violence. Who would want to name their child violence? It's uh, good to know that there's some common sense over there. If you also, if you, in New Zealand, if you have twins, you cannot name them fish and chips. <laughs> okay. In Sweden, you can't name your child Metallica. (laughs) Portugal bans the name for a child UFO. Maybe they have some wild boys there, and they're just kind of like unidentified flying objects. You know how boys can be. And in Japan, you're not allowed to name your child the devil. I guess that's reserved for just one. And these restrictions aren't random or arbitrary. Each of these names have been tried and denied at some point. Can you believe that? Parents actually tried these names. But I was thinking about that as it relates to this message on names today. It begs the question, which name has God banned for you? Some come to mind that we label other people with, or some of us even label ourselves with these names. Loser, hopeless, a waste of time, a lost cause. You know, God has a way of taking the person that the world has rejected and labeled and turning them into something beautiful, no longer to be known the way they were known before. One guy in the Old Testament had a unique name by the name of Jabez. He was called Jabez by his mother, obviously. Apparently his father wasn't around. Perhaps he had died. And so his mother calls him Jabez upon his birth. You can read about it in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now, there are a lot of strange names in the Old Testament, Right? You ever tried to read the Old Testament, some of the names, and you say, whoa, now how do you pronounce that one? There are a lot of strange names in the Old Testament that are hard for us as as Americans to pronounce. Jabez isn't particularly hard to pronounce, but it has a very unique meaning to it in the Hebrew. In In the Hebrew, it means distress or pain, You know, I thought to myself, that's worse than being labeled by your greatest failure. Jabez hadn't done a thing. He's a baby, a new baby, born into his mother, and yet he's given this name he doesn't deserve. Now, maybe she gave him the name because she had an exceptionally painful delivery. And so she called him, you know, you're a pain. Your name's going to be Jabez. Or maybe the timing of his birth was poor for her. Maybe, in fact, she had lost her, her husband after conceiving Jabez. And so uh, it's, a, it's a bad time for me to be having a child, and she called him pain. I don't know. Or maybe she simply didn't want another child. I don't know what the answer is. All I know is that this poor kid was called a pain for his entire life. What's your name? Pain. Pain and it's not his last name. It's his first name. You are a pain to us. But the really great thing about Jabez is he didn't let that get him down. He didn't let it affect his relationship with God. I want you to think about that because a lot of us have allowed allowed a lot of things to really affect how close we'll get to Jesus or how faithful we'll be to him. And, and, And this man, even though he lived with that tag upon him and and you can imagine—you know how kind kids are. You can imagine what his his uh, his peers did with that name, how they treated him, and yet he did not allow that to to infringe upon his relationship with God. In fact, he prayed one of the most notable prayers recorded in the Scripture. And it's found in First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. And it simply says, Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you will bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And it says, God granted his request. That is such an incredibly powerful prayer. We could take weeks just talking about that prayer. But the thing that I want you to get today is that even though Jabez got something he did not deserve, he got a lousy name, he didn't allow it to affect his relationship with God or his ultimate destiny. The beginning of the verse says he did the right thing. Jabez called on the God of Israel. He didn't back away from God. He didn't stay away. I haven't been treated well, Lord. I am not going to come to church. I am not going to be around you. I, until everything is going great, I'm going to absent myself. He didn't do that. He called on the God of Israel. He may have started out a pain to his mother, but he did not end up that way. Hallelujah. And Thomas didn't stay a doubter either. I don't know what you know about his life, But we are told through church history that he spent his life taking the gospel as a missionary to India. One of the 12 apostles was a missionary into the land of India where he died a martyr's death, being speared to death by a heathen priest. Truth be known, little confession here, I have doubted too, more than once, I've doubted my salvation. I've doubted God's love for me. Now, I never would have told you that I doubted God's love for me. I never would have admitted it. But deep down inside, I was always trying to somehow get God to love me more. I doubted that God really loved me. Now, maybe it was because I grew up in a, in a in a church that it was a good church, wonderful church. I thank God for my church. Over and over again, I've thought, I've, I've thanked God for that church. But it did have a, a legalism kind of based faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it, you have to do this for God to get God to do this for you. That's legalism. So you have to have your life so perfect before you'll, you'll be. Um, you'll be accepted you'll be loved you have to, you have to to be on this certain level for god to to really reach out to you and love him. and i don't know maybe it was never really said that way but that's the way it came into this little boy's heart and because of that i i just i just got so at times i just wondered because I never lived up to the, the, the level that I knew I should. Does anybody know, know what I'm talking about? I never lived up to the level of perfection that I thought I should have lived up to, and, and I never was good enough, and because I was never good enough, I just couldn't imagine that God would love me because I'm not good enough. I questioned His love. I doubted. And if I was to take time, I would take too much time to go over a lot of the other doubts that I've had to fight off through the years. So if you're sitting there thinking that you're the only one who doubts, I was a little confessional there just to let you know that I still struggle with doubts. Doubts fill my head today, still. I know truth but sometimes I don't feel the truth, you know what I'm saying? I was reading the 74th Psalm this morning before coming to church and And it's a psalm written by Asaph, and he's writing it from the perspective of being in in Babylon. They've been conquered by the nation of Babylon, the empire of Babylon, and they're they're hauled off to Babylon. Most of them are dead, most of the Jews, but some of them are hauled off to Babylon. And and so he's writing this psalm. At the time, he doesn't know it's a psalm. He's just writing a prayer, but it's included in the word of God. It's the 74th psalm. And in that psalm, he, he's t- he talks about, God, your, your temple's destroyed, the city's destroyed, the place is burned down, everything that we believed in seems to be lost, seems to be gone. Where are your miracles? And as I read that this morning, I thought to myself, there are a lot of people in our church who are wondering the same thing. Where are your miracles, God? We sang it this morning. Lord, bring us a revival. Holy Spirit, fire. What we've seen in days of old, God renew them in our time, renew them in our day. We understand that, don't we? Because we have doubts. And, and so Asaph is writing out this psalm and he's saying, God, where's your, where are your miracles? Your, in other words, where's your love? Where's your promises to us? And, and you will go through times like that in your Christian life where you will doubt you will struggle. I've been there. You will be there. If you never have been, you will be at some point. You will struggle wondering. I'm just so glad that I wasn't one of the early apostles so that I got tagged with Doubting Jim the rest of history. I don't know how long Thomas had to live up to that that name or lived down, had to live it down. I just know that Jesus was very forgiving and that forgiveness from Christ changed Thomas' heart. And when Jesus appeared to the disciples and ultimately to Thomas a second time, Thomas just fell to his knees, my Lord and my God. By the way, which was a greater confession than the other disciples gave when Jesus showed up. It's interesting to look into the lives of the people that God used powerfully. Abraham, father of faith. What a great guy, man. God, I wish I could be like Abraham. Abraham is a liar. Did you know that? If you don't know his story, he's wandering around with a very beautiful wife, and he's so beautiful that when he comes into the kingdom, he says to her, um, uh, Sarah, now, Tell them that you're my sister, so they won't kill me to get you. You're talking about the king. And it, was, it wasn't really a lie. It was kind of one of those, uh, you've told them. <laughs> those shady kind of things, you know. Kind of true, but kind of not. I remember one time telling my mother or my mom got really mad, that's what it was. I remember, this comes to my mind. My mom got really mad at me because I had taken off and gone somewhere with my friends, and I got home. She didn't know where I was at, and I got home later than I should have and so forth like that. She says, well, you never told me you were leaving. And I said, yes, I did. I said, mom, I'm leaving. Now, this is the truth. I said, mom, I'm leaving. (laughs) That was exceedingly intentional because I knew she'd nail me for not saying, and I could honestly say, I said, Mom, I'm leaving. But it was a lie. Now, when I say that Abraham's lie was a half lie, it's it's because Sarah was his half-sister. That is true. But it was a lie, just like my lie was a lie. You don't give it away with that kind of stuff. And God had to come and appear before the king because he hauled her off into his harem and I thought to myself, I wonder how Carrie would have felt about that if I'd have said, honey, you go be a part of his harem for a while so I can kind of live it up here until we need to leave and then I'll get you back, you know, somehow. Maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. But appreciate you looking out for me. <laughs> you know. I'm not sure she would have thought I was the greatest guy in the world, but at any rate, that's what he did. Now, here's the cool thing about it, not cool, here's the thing about Abraham. He did it twice! He did it to two different kings, and God had to bail him out both times. He sent uh, a vision to the king or an angel or whatever, and he told the king, don't you touch that woman because she's his wife, and the king's are, "Oh." Now, Abraham, this wonderful holy guy, liar. <laughs> but he's called the father of our faith. He was the father of Israel, Moses, good man, gave us the Ten Commandments the law of God. He was a murderer. Did you know that? David, where do we start? <laughs> well, adultery tops the list. But murder was also involved in that and lying and... So, like, David is a composite of Abraham, Moses, and David. He, he did them all, you know. And uh, yet he is called a man after God's own heart. Isn't that amazing? Wrote most of the Psalms. Peter, he denied the Lord, and yet he was made an apostle to the Jews. And then good old Paul. Man, he went around persecuting the church. Many of them he killed. Many of the followers of Christ he killed. And yet, do you know that Paul wrote most of the New Testament? They were all flawed and the Bible is not shy about admitting their flaws, but God used them anyway. And I guess that's the power of Thomas' life story. He was forgiven and he was changed. And so was Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul and all the rest of them in the Bible. They became new people because of the amazing grace of God. And the truth is, you can be changed too. Whatever lie you have believed about you can be changed by the power of the same grace that changed those guys. In fact, I want you to know that you're sitting in a room full of changed people. People who went lower into sin than they thought they would ever go, but who have been redeemed by the grace of God and are being brought up now to heights they never thought they'd receive. You say, no, I'm too bad, or my sins are too grievous, but let me ask you today, exactly what sin puts you beyond God's grace? How far do you have to fall to be too far for God to be willing or able to reach you or to want to save you? And for that matter, which sins are so small that God finds it easy to forgive and which ones are so grievous that he just writes you off? Before you answer, make sure you know what God has to say about it. He forgave Abraham's lies and Moses' murder and David's adultery and Peter's denial and Paul's persecution. What will he not forgive about you? The truth is, God's grace is more abundant than you can know. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, We praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Look at how Paul defines God's grace in just those two verses. Glorious grace poured out grace. Wow, isn't that something? Poured out. Man, it's just flowing towards you. Rich grace, forgiving grace. So what God is saying is what you cannot do for yourself, what I cannot do for myself spiritually, God has done for us because of his grace in Christ. What we deserve as sinful human beings is judgment. Judgment. We deserve rejection. We deserve condemnation from God. But what we get in Christ is acceptance, hallelujah. We get a change, we get healing, we get forgiveness. It's blotted out. He doesn't remember it against us again. Now, some of us here in this building have been just as guilty before God as Abraham or Moses or Paul. Maybe we've even done worse things. But there's a a nail-pierced hand that's reaching out to you today that welcomes you to come, to come to God and receive the cleansing and forgiveness that you need. And if you respond, this is what I want you to hear. That ugly name that you've been living by, failure, rejected, whatever name that is is gonna be changed when you come before God because he promises in Revelation 2:17 to the one who is victorious, I will give a new name, hallelujah. You're not a victim anymore, you're a victor in Christ Jesus. You're not a loser, you're a winner. You're not condemned, you're set free. You're a new creation in the Lord. Some of you have been tempted to believe that God sees you as a loser. He sees you as a waste of time or as a lost cause. I want you to watch this video and let it challenge you.
1: You are a lost cause, and I refuse to believe that God can change a life. I am completely certain that my own view of religion is more important than believing in Jesus, the Son of God. I have my priority strength because my success, income, and popularity are way more important than family, faith, and serving God. I know that I'll be broke, divorced, and spiritually empty. I do not believe that I can make any change in the world or be different from the crowd. In the future, I will travel the broad, comfortable, and normal path. No longer can it be said that my life will count. It will be entirely evident that I am short-sighted selfish, and solely living for me. It is foolish to presume that I am different and can change the world, unless I am willing to believe in something greater than myself, a power that goes beyond all human or worldly understanding and look at life from a completely new perspective. I am different and can change the world. It is foolish to presume that I am short-sighted, selfish, and solely living for me. It will be entirely evident that my life will count. No longer can it be said that I will travel the broad, comfortable, and normal path in the future. I can make change in the world and be different from the crowd. I do not believe that I will be broke and spiritually empty. I know that family, faith, and serving God are way more important than my success, income, and popularity. I have my priorities straight because believing in Jesus, the Son of God, is more important than my own view of religion. I am completely certain that God can change a life, and I refuse to believe that you are a lost cause.
0: Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. The power of the word, unless. That's what he said right there. When you heard the first part of the monologue, you thought, oh, my word, this is depressing. And then he got to the middle and he said, unless, unless Jesus touches your life, unless you open up your heart, when you do that, hallelujah, you are made a brand new person in the power of the Lord. Let me just give you one last Bible passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5:17. This is how God sees you if you're in Christ. He first of all sees you as a new creation. He says if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You may not be perfect yet, but you're in the process of being perfected by the power of God. In verse number 20, God calls you an ambassador for Christ. In other words, you're representing Christ as Christ ambassadors. And then in verse 21, he calls you the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. When God looks at you, he doesn't see all your failures. He doesn't see all your problems. He doesn't see all the times you blow it. He doesn't see all your doubting and your denial. He sees you as righteous because the righteousness of Christ overwhelms you. I just want to challenge you with this last thought. What hangs on to you today and tempts you to doubt God? What did you bring in with you today that made you a doubter and you wondered whether or not today would make any difference to you? Is it sickness in your body? I prayed with a woman in the first service who came to me and I anointed her with oil. Her husband came and saw me about a week and a half ago, just received word from the doctor, you got a month to live. What a smack in the face. You're doing fine. Then all of a sudden something hurts. You go to the doctor, you find out cancer. We'll give you a month. I anointed earth oil and we prayed together the prayer of faith this morning. What challenges you to believe that God loves you? Financial needs your need of a job, maybe your marriage situation, maybe your wayward kids, your rebellious kids, maybe a broken relationship with with a friend, or maybe it's the sin of your past. Jesus wants you to make the same confession that Thomas made When he saw Jesus and put his hand in his side and his finger in the nail print of his hand, he wants you to make that same uh, confession over every challenge that you face. If you are experiencing sickness this morning, I want you to say it with me today. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, would you say it out loud? My Lord and my God. Over your finances, would you say it and confess it with me? My Lord and my God. Over your Kids, say it with me, my Lord and my God. Over your relationships, say it, my Lord and my God. Over your sins, say it, my Lord and my God. In fact, over every part of your life, declare it this morning, my Lord and my God. Give him praise in the house of God this morning. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.